Welcome to this week's episode of the Thinking Big Podcast. If you are new to the show, please be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast in whatever player you're using. Today, we get to sit down with my friend, Andrea Waltz. She is the co-founder of Courage Crafters, Inc. Uh, She's also the co-author of the best-selling book, Go For No. Yes is the destination. No is how you get there. For two decades, Andrea has been teaching people in virtually every business and industry how to think and feel differently about failure, rejection, and the word no to achieve all of their goals and all of their dreams. Today, Go For No is widely recognized as the singular best program that deals with rejection in business. My biggest takeaways from this episode are why the secret to getting a yes is to go for no. Number two, there are simple ways to improve your mindset if you struggle with fear of failure and rejection. And number three, my NQ is very high. I'm like a two-year-old. So today, we're thinking big on going for no. Welcome to the Thinking Big Podcast with Sean Osborne, the show helping you think bigger into your life and potential. Sean believes by equipping you with the tools, strategies, and philosophies required to be successful in all aspects of your life, you can achieve anything you believe in. Empowering our own growth makes a deeply positive and lasting impact on our lives, community, and our world. Now, here's Sean. Thinking big, we have a very special guest today, and I am so excited to have Andrea on the on the podcast. And Andrea, you know, as we said at the beginning, you know, she is uh, the co-author of the book, Go For No. And I'm telling you, the first time that I heard this book was years ago, and I was really just an innocent bystander. <laughs> so my the story, my wife and her friend were in sales and we were on a road trip and they had this book, Go For No, and they, you know, I had I was stuck in the car, I had to listen to it. And I'm telling you, I started listening to that book and I'm like, holy shit. There this is some great content in here. This I'm not in sales, but this stuff is so important. And it rings so true to so many things that I absolutely fell in love with uh, with the book, and and I really so one of the things when when I first heard it, one of the things that stood out to me was how you guys took that content or took the the uh, uh, you know the teaching the philosophy and how you turned it into a story, and so so th- I took away the initial time I listened to the book. I took away two things. One was just the amazing content in it, but also how you guys delivered it uh, in the book was was really amazing. It was the first time that it really that had really stuck out to me on on how you guys did that. So thank you awesome. so much. Yeah, thank you so much for being on uh, being on the podcast today. Absolutely, Sean. And I appreciate hearing that. Um, we wrote it as a story because we wanted people to be emotionally connected. So I think we did that. Um, my husband is the creative genius of two of us. So that was his idea. I, I don't know about that. I <laughs> something, something tells me that, that you're behind most of it. If it's anything like me and my wife, you're behind most of the genius, I'm telling you. <laughs> that's just how it is. We have to admit that's just how it is. But so why did you guys sit down and, and what what drove you guys to sit down and, and write Go For No? So we had written a couple books for the retail industry. Go For No is actually our third book. We had written, our first one was a fable too. It was called Unlocking the Secrets of Retail Magic because our business when we launched our company um, over 20 years ago was training 
people in the retail industry. And we decided that of everything, and Go For No was mentioned in that book, just a quick mention. We decided, though, that because we were doing trainings and we would do like half day and full day workshops and people loved Go For No. That was the thing that resonated with people. They loved talking about rejection and it was such a great topic that it was kind of like the audience was demanding it from us. So we decided that we would go ahead and, and write the book, do it as a fable again, um, keep it short because our readers um, especially the people that are in the retail industry, you know, they're on their feet all day long. They're helping customers. They don't have time to sit down and read a 300 page book. And we, we figured, well, neither does anybody. Anybody in sales is, you know, you're, you're struggling to get people's attention. Um, and of course, today it's worse than ever. So that short, you know, the short book has really paid off. Um, and, and luckily we kept it that way. We just decided, hey, let's let's um, write this book just focused on this one message. We don't have to tackle the entire world of sales and handling objections and closing and all of this. This was our message. And then um, after doing that for a few years and we just kind of became known as the go for no people and we just decided this is our mission. This is the message. Right. And, that, and that, so, again, I think that the stuff that I know you wrote that for retail and, that, and, you know, that's where you were, but I'm telling you the stuff that's in there, there is so much in there for people who are not in sales at all. I mean, that, that, the philosophy of, you know, and you talk about this a lot. You talk about the relationship that's between failure and success, the, you know, the, the difference, you know, the relationship between no and yes. Uh, that to me is such a big learning or a big teaching that literally everybody needs to, for me, at least everybody needs to hear. Everyone needs to learn that. It, it's a great teaching. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, it really is. Um, and it's one of those things. I think there's a, a few lessons in life that, you know, um, it's it's like that, those counterintuitive messages where you hear somebody say, you know, if you love something, set it free. If it comes back to you, you know, <laughs> it was meant to be, it was your result to begin with. Right. There's these counterintuitive things. And I think the idea of that failure and success are not opposites, that they're opposite sides of the same coin, that you can't have one without the other, right? And you, we, we focus on pursuing success and getting yeses in our business and in our life, but we can't do that without being willing to move through the failures and we you know nobody wants to fail nobody you know we're, we're not saying people should sabotage their efforts we're not saying they should you <laughs> know do. do things right <laughs> we we do we could talk about yeah, sabotage is a whole topic right um but so you know do the best that you can but understand that failure is a part of the path in order to get where you're going yeah, and I think with – so two parts. I think with today's society, we're trying to – at least I get the feeling that we're trying to – I don't want to say God, coddle people. Uh, we, we, but we, we are – I'm saying that we're in a society that is completely trying to turn away fear or not get hurt. We, 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 we can't get hurt anymore. And, and I think that is, you know, what you said is so damn important. We cannot, we cannot succeed without those failures. We can't, I mean, that's, you, you said it, it's, it's part of the, the same formula. You, you can't have one without the other. It's, it's the same yeah, thing. Right, right. Um, and 
I think you're right about society. And a lot of people don't like the word failure. You know, people say, um, I, I, I've gotten messages from people like, oh, you, you, you probably should not use the word failure. And I'm thinking, <laughs> they don't know me very well. <laughs> because, I, you know, we, we want to demystify the word failure, just like in the book. You know, we have that conversation where it's like, let's not make it this taboo subject that's the problem. If, if it's taboo and if it's shameful and embarrassing, then we have to hide our failures. And then, Sean, like, that's how we end up with, I think, some stuff that happens on social media and, you know, with everybody trying to just show their successes and making other people feel like, oh, okay, so I, can on- I should only show my successes. I shouldn't show my failures. Those are things we should hide. And it's actually the opposite. I think the more that we show the behind the scenes, the more we show the failures and, and talk about that stuff, then it's like we're not saying that we're, we are failures as people. We're saying, hey, this, these are the mistakes and the failures I've had. But look where we, you know, look where we got to. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Failing at something does not mean we're a failure. And that's I think that's one of the big things we have to get over is. That is just part of the, again, that, that's part of the process that, that's part of succeeding. And I can tell you this, not, and I can tell since you guys have this, you know, best-selling book and all this, it was always just easy for you. You guys just wrote that out. You guys <laughs> didn't fail anything. I mean, it was just easy. You just wrote, you know, wrote your book and, you know. It was so success. easy. We wrote it and it just started selling <laughs> like mad and, yeah. <laughs> it's easy. No one goes. You know, and that's, that's the yeah. funny thing because you're right, especially with social media, people don't see – how many times you got your ass beat, how many times you had to get up, how many times you had to persist and uh, to continue to move on. And it's like, if you talk to, if you sit down and talk with any successful person, and I don't care what they're successful in, whether it's relationships, uh, in business, in in sports, it doesn't matter. They're going to tell you the exact same story, that they had to go through these steps of failures over and over and over again until finally... (laughs) you look back and you're like, how did I become successful? How, how did this happen? Because it, it seemed like when they're in it, it's always failure. And, and you hear about it from anybody that's successful. So I have to tell you this funny story about the book. Not a lot of people know this, although we told this story in a book we wrote a couple of years ago called Million Dollar Book Formula. And Million Dollar Book Formula was about everything that we've learned writing and publishing books for the last 20 years, because we've also written and published other books besides Go For No, which have not been, they've had various levels of success. And um, the first cover that we designed, we designed it ourselves for Go For No. We, We were on a shoestring budget. We didn't hire a designer and there weren't fabulous there wasn't freelancing back then like there is today right today you can go on fiverr or upwork and you can find people who in every area of of you know of work you can hire someone so we were like oh we'll just do it ourselves so our cover basically was horrible it was a red cover with the words go for no on the front in black which is really a design no-no so it really was (laughs) washed out it was really it was really horrible so we decided we were going to print 5,000 copies of the book. We did that. We did an offset print run. We printed 5,000 copies, and we were going to ship out 500 copies. We got a ma- bought a mailing list. We shipped out 500 copies with a cover letter and an offer to purchase more copies for their salespeople and sent out 500 copies to vice president of sales and and 
influencers and presidents of companies all over the country and literally crickets. We <laughs> thought maybe the post office like ditched the book, you know, maybe they just decided they would just throw just throw it, just throw it away. But then we got one order, which was good and bad because we realized that the books had probably made it to their locations, but it was like nobody nobody liked it. And we struggled with that book for years. We finally went to a conference and we met a guy. We were giving away copies of the book. We always gave away copies of the book when we would go to events and meet people and things like that. So we were at this event. We have one copy left. The event's about ready to end. And Richard says, all right, well, we have one copy left. I guess we'll just take it back with us. And I said, no, there's a guy in front of us. I, I overheard he was in sales. Let's just give it to him. So we gave it to this guy, Tom. Tom calls us a couple days later and he says, are you guys open to feedback? And we said, yes. And he said, I want you to know that you've written one of the best sales books <laughs> ever with the worst cover in the history of publishing. <laughs> so we said, okay. And he said, said, if you will change the cover, will you guys redesign the cover? And we said, yeah. And he goes, if you redesign the cover, I'll buy 5,000 copies of this book from you. <laughs> so we did. And that actually was a big part. That was probably in 2005. That was a big part of, so that's five years after we did that initial print run. And five years after that, we hit number one on Amazon's sales and selling list. So it took 10 years from that initial printing to hit number one in the sales list. Hold on. So you mean it wasn't just an overnight magical success? Not a magical <laughs> success. No, we beat our heads against the wall for quite some time. <laughs> See, I love, I, I know this sounds bad, but I love to hear that. I absolutely yeah. <laughs> love to hear that. Oh, that's great. Now, I... So one thing that pops in my mind when you say that is, what intuition did you have? Because something told you the guy in front of me needs this book. So you you had that intuition, and most people would yeah. just blow that off and say, "Oh, that's stupid. That's that's not a great idea." But I love how you 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 got that intuition and you followed through and you gave the guy the book. I mean, that's well. One there are a couple reasons for that. One is. We have always believed from the very beginning when it comes to entrepreneurs and, and having books and book writing that a book is, uh, people say this all the time, but a book is a business card. And it can be like a business card to where you don't, you know, business card often you'll look at it and you're like, ah, I'll throw it away. Maybe, ho hopefully you plug in the person's contact information, but we just toss business cards. People tend not to toss books in the trash. Um, although Tom admitted that he did throw away our book initially, and then he decided he would give it, he would give it a read, he would give it a chance. So he, he did admit that actually. But so the book is a great marketing tool. And we believed that if we could give away, get enough copies in the right hands, that eventually the tide would turn. And we were persistent, but also, we had to learn to be open-minded and to learn from our mistakes. And it's tough sometimes because you spend all this time, you know, there's like that sunk cost fallacy where you spend all this time like trying to do this one thing and then you realize, oh, this was wrong. We, we got to start over. We've got to go back to the drawing board. We've got to hire a designer. And um, that did change everything. But we also knew we had to keep going because just because we had a new cover didn't mean, oh, now the spigots turned on. Now we still have to send out more copies. The difference is now maybe people will actually read it instead of throwing it in the trash. There's there's so many good things in, in the book, but I, I find it interesting that 
when you talked about, you know, the kid in the store saying, can I have a cookie? Can I have a cookie? That, that is a great illustration of there was a time in everyone's life where we weren't afraid of persistence, where we weren't afraid of that no, we weren't afraid of rejection. We, all we knew is what we wanted, and we, we were hell-bent on getting that, and we were going to continue until we got what we wanted. Where in our lives, how, how do we lose that, you know, where, where do we gain that fear? Because uh, we weren't born with it. We, it's something that we inherited somehow of, of this fear of, of being told no, this fear of, re, fear of rejection, I guess. Yeah, we're biologically wired to fear rejection. It is literally built into our DNA, which is a good thing for the survival of our species, <laughs> right? It's a good thing. And, and there is actually, I, I just read recently, there was a um, woman who her amygdala, which is kind of our reptilian mammalian name your name your IAN part of your brain whose amygdala was calcified and she literally stopped at a fairly young age experiencing fear like could not experience fear you would put her in front of an oncoming train she would know that she should step away from it but she didn't literally had no fear so we are wired to not be rejected and get thrown out of the tribe and all of that kind of stuff and when we're young of course we want to achieve certain things or we're willing to do whatever it takes. We don't care about making a fool out of ourselves or asking for a cookie a hundred times to get it. But then we become a little bit more self-aware somewhere around six to 10, that self-awareness kicks in and all of a sudden we realize people are looking at us and we're being judged. And that's when it really all goes downhill. <laughs> it goes downhill from there. <laughs> yes, it, it's straight downhill. Yeah, what's funny is just the other day I was, uh, I think I was listening to something, but they talked about being uh, your amygdala, amygdala hijacking, which apparently this, <sighs> this lady would not be able to get. So it's like when you get into that fight or flight, it hijacks everything in your brain and all of your senses, all your signals go directly to your amygdala and not to your other parts of your brain. That's why you can't. That's why you basically just run. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That that flight because that's how you're designed to uh, to keep you alive. Yeah, it just hijacks the funny your brain. Thing is, it hijacks your brain. But what's in and so what's interesting is that we're in a society where we are doing things that are physically safe, like sitting at your desk and making a phone call, but emotionally risky. But the feeling is the same. So we have to kind of turn off those feelings and say, I'm, I might be feeling anxious or scared, but I have to take action anyway. And you really have to push those, those flight feelings aside. I guess that's to your point of hijacking your amygdala. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, uh, and it happens. It, it really does, it does happen. I mean, it's a chemical, you know, a chemical reaction that our body goes through that when we're in stress, it just uh, automatically takes over and... <laughs> you think like an idiot. You can't make decisions. You can't do anything. But so we get into these, you know, these routines or we get into these mindsets that we're fearful. And I, I think, it, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, do you think that these uh, fears are become habits? I mean, how do we, they just continue to go, it seems like, like once we get them. I think, yeah, that's a really good question. I've never heard it asked that way or put that way, I think fear can become a habit because certainly doing courageous things can become a habit. So shrinking and always allowing yourself to 
you know, not do something can become a habit as well, right? So it's that idea of, well, I really should reach out to this person or ask this person if they want to be on my podcast, but I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll procrastinate and wait till tomorrow. And then you just keep doing day after day, you just allow and and that fear doesn't go away. If anything, it increases. And now you're more anxious than ever because you've procrastinated on something. So that taking action and building the courage is the same muscle. It's just about showing up and I did a survey in our um, Facebook coaching group that we have people who, who've taken our growth in our course. And I was curious what like some of their biggest fears are. And definitely everybody said it's the fear of judgment and making a fool out of themselves. Like there's just that whole thing about not wanting to fail in front of people. So we talk a lot about giving yourself permission to fail like when you were a kid and learning to ride a bike or whatever, you completely gave yourself permission to fail at that. You didn't care until you were going to get it right. So as adults, we really have to get up, give ourselves permission to fail. And if we make a fool out of ourselves in front of someone else, it's it's going to last for a couple seconds. But the <laughs> results, the results of what you get out of that, if you do get a yes or if you do have a win, will last so much longer than that temporary Oh, that was embarrassing. I just kind of made a fool out of myself. Oh, well, move on. Yeah, and what's funny is you get a, so when you do that and you're, you're right, you get that yes or you get that, uh, that win, there's an actual chemical reaction in your body of like a dopamine that makes you feel good. I mean, it really is. There's, a, there's an actual chemical reaction uh, to that. And you were talking about uh, you know, your go for no uh, course and stuff. And I want to get, I, I really want to get into that. But one of the things that stood out was, I, I think what goes really in line with that is public speaking. I think, you know, so many people hate public speaking and it really all comes down to, it's because they don't want to be judged on what they're doing, what they're saying, how they look. And I, I remember reading a, uh, God, it was a, uh, a survey that they did and they said 98% of the people would rather die than public speak. <laughs> They're more afraid of public speaking than dying. I was one of those people, Sean. Seriously, I did not like public speaking at all. In fact, when Richard and I launched our company, he said, you don't have to do the speaking or the training. Be the salesperson, be the marketer. And that's what we did for years. I was, I was just the, you know, person kind of behind the scenes and doing the bookings and everything. And as we transitioned our company from less of a sales training, customer service, retail management company to go for no for anybody, go for no for if you're in insurance or real estate or whomever you are, whatever you do. And I'm so passionate about it. I started safely doing podcasts because I thought, okay, I can talk on you know, the air. I can talk to somebody on the phone or over a microphone. No big deal. Even that made me nervous, though. And then eventually we started speaking to audiences, in some cases that were 90% women. And Rich said to me, he said, you're so good at go for no. You love go for no. And I, and he said, I hate traveling alone. We should do this together. And I was so terrified. So I was I would go and I would started giving speeches and I would do freebies in our 
hometown and in our city just trying to get the get, get the courage to um you know to move through that and the reason that i was so scared and this happens i think with a lot of things traumatic i had a horrible experience speaking like in the seventh grade and the seventh grade is horrible enough it's traumatic enough then you just add in a horrible experience public speaking speaking in front of the group i'd had to do an oral report on the dangers of smoking and it was horrible and i could barely get through it and i slinked back to my chair and people were giggling because it was such a disaster like it was just just an unmitigated (laughs) disaster and i vowed to myself sitting in my chair after that little speech, which probably lasted about six minutes, it felt like forever, I said, I will do anything not to have to do that again. Like, I I will, I, I would, the teachers would say, hey, we're doing oral reports. And I would say, I will write two reports. Let me do two book reports. I will, I will du- double my work to not have to speak in front of the class. <laughs> so here I am. So two things. One, I found something that I really liked talking about. That's the one thing. And just practicing. And still I get nervous, but I'm able to take the focus off me and try to remember, okay, why are you there? You're trying to help the audience, you know, and and now I see it much more as excitement and not fear. But it was a lot, it takes a it takes practice and work to get over a fear to to go through it. There's no way that you can just sit around and go like, okay, I'm gonna wait till I don't fear speaking, or I'm gonna wait till I don't fear doing a video or going on a podcast, you just have to do it. Jack Canfield says, and I love this quote, he says, self-confidence is the successfully survived risk. So you build your confidence in anything by successfully surviving it. You go on something, you do something, and you see you didn't die. You survived it. This is exactly how go for no works too, where you see that you got rejected and you go like, okay, no big deal. Let me move on to the next one. And that that's the only way. So how many times did you tell him no before he, obviously he kept persisting, your husband, because you're, you're doing the talking, you're doing this stuff, and you were like, no, no. You, you probably said no a few times, but he kept. Uh, <laughs> I think I did say no a few times. I was, I, I mean, talk about self-doubt. You know, I just was like, I don't think that's a good idea. My first really big speech was the two of us, and we speak together now, or sometimes I'll even speak by myself. But um, our first big presentation was a convention for 2,500 people. That's a big room. It was a big room. It was a big (laughs) room. It It was in Los Angeles, and it was one of these rooms that where the, uh, audience is almost like a theater where it goes straight up along the along the walls so i mean i you feel like you're in a bubble surrounded (laughs) by people it's it's crazy it was crazy and but it was fun and and afterwards i mean i was like invigorated and i thought like okay i pulled that off i i survived that so i will just fight my way through and do it again and here's the thing. Nobody is good at something their first few times they do it. People don't understand that. You know, they, they'll see you on stage or they'll see someone on stage and think, man, Andrew, she's so good. But it took time for you to get where you where you are. It, it, uh, it's not something that you just automatically do. <clears throat> and a funny story is I actually started my podcast primarily to force myself to sit down and to talk. Because, you know, I do the thinking big and I, you know, I, I wanted to become a – 
you know, a speaker on, on thinking big and, you know, that philosophy. And I thought, well, what's, what's one way I could force myself to sit down, talk with people, you know, discuss things and, and speak. And, and that, that's actually the, probably the main reason why, why I, uh, started the podcast was just to force myself to be able to, uh, to do that. And it's got two years now. And it's, I'm telling you, it's so when we, and when we do these things, it is probably one of the most gratifying things that you can do is to overcome, you know, overcome your, your fears. I love that. Yeah, yeah. it, that, it is. And wh- I mean, you weren't going to be able to sit and think about it and think about it and then achieve that conf- that level of confidence. So a lot of my listeners are entrepreneurs, newer entrepreneurs that are getting into their journeys. You know, they're not necessarily directly in the sales. They're not directly into their their trying to do their own thing. And I, I, so here's the thing that the pandemic, I think our culture, I think every household is going to have a side gig, a side hustle, a side something that they're doing either as a family or individually. And that's really where I think this book is, is huge. Cause again, it's, it's not just sales. It's the whole philosophy of, of going for no and, and, and doing things until, you know, we, we've got to continue to do what we're doing until, until we succeed. And I think that's where this, this book is for my audience is such a big, a big deal is, is just that whole philosophy of, of keep going, going for no. You talk about your, uh, go for no coaching. Are you guys back to doing live stuff yet? We have. We just got back doing a uh, thing called Outbound, which is a big outside sales conference, like for for B2B sales. And that was in Atlanta. And then we just did a workshop in Phoenix not too long ago. So we're starting to do some actual live training. But in terms of coaching... We don't actually do, it's funny, we, I call it a, we have an online course and I call it training and coaching. The coaching is really provided on Facebook and it's kind of on an as needed basis. If somebody runs into a problem or a question that's go for no related and so much of go for no is mindset oriented. So to your point about people being entrepreneurs, they, a lot of times people think, you know, I just need to know how to how to do this, like how, how to, what to say and how to, how to execute this. But being an entrepreneur also is so, requires such a mindset shift. You have to really adopt this mindset of persistence and a understanding about failure and success and to keep going. And the mindset that no one is going to come and wake you up and get you customers or get you the knowledge that you have to be such a self-starter. You have to be so motivated, so self-motivated and so driven. And the people that adopt that, I agree with you. I think, I think most people are going to have two or three. They, they know we need to have multiple streams of income into our household. And in order to do that, you have to have that entrepreneurial mindset of, Hey, if I don't know something, I'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We're going to fail we're going to fail at some things, but the more that we apply our knowledge, the more that we try things, the more we'll see what works and what doesn't. And then the more opportunities will come our way. Even with you with your podcast for two years, how many people have you met? How many doors could possibly open unexpected that you didn't even expect? Absolutely. And I think so, you know, I I think there's some things, you know, 
that I want to talk about, like what are the biggest obstacles you see? But if you're in, so you said something about, you know, the family and, and doing these multiple streams of income. I know, at least for me, so when I was starting my thinking big stuff, I know that I didn't want to fail for the family. So in other words, I didn't want my wife to know, hey, I, I screwed that one up. You know, so I think it goes, you know, just if, if you're not doing it, especially if you're not doing it together, but man, just that fear of failure with your spouse or your kids or your, you know, your loved ones, you know, that alone, you know, kept me from doing a lot of things because I did not want to fail, you know, not only in their eyes, but financially, uh, emotionally, I did not want to, to fail. I'm going to say, yeah, that's tough. I mean, and, and I think just having that open communication of these are the risks, Yes, there's the financial risk and the time risk. And I think most problems, especially in a relationship and with entrepreneurship, are solved when there's just like clear communication and honest communication to where, hey, I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. Pretend like I'm learning how to ride a bike at the very beginning and it's just going to be a learning process. And then you do the best you can. But yeah, it just... It, it, it is tough because you don't want to fail, but it's understanding that you've got to try these things anyway. But anyway, keep going. Oh, and, and I was going to say, if, you know, anybody that's, that's listening to this right now, you know, obviously you're, you're probably some sort of an entrepreneur. You want mindset growth. You want these things. Have your spouse listen to this book. Get them in a car. Get them in a road trip <laughs> and have them listen to Go For No. Because here's the thing. Most people don't even, I don't want to say understand the concept but they're not familiar with the concept of, of failure's okay. Failure's part of it. And I think that just listening to, you know, go for no is such a wake up call and it's so foreign. It's like some people that, that, that is such a foreign idea that they normally, again, you said counterintuitive, you, you wouldn't think that, uh, that, that, that it's okay. And I, yeah, lock them in a car. Go down the go on a road trip, put, put the audiobook on, and just have them listen to it. Because just knowing, to me, just knowing is just as important. I mean, it, that's if if I know something and it's and it's a, a philosophy that's been told, and I now know about it, I can consciously think and say, okay, and and I can start using that. That's true. That's true. And I've had people, to your point about listening to it in the car, I've had people tell me over the years that they they would listen to the audiobook with their kids. And that their kids would just kind of listen and not not super pay attention, but kind of start to because it's a story, they'd kind of get drawn in and go like, oh, that's that's interesting, you know. Um, and I'm thinking of one lady uh, and yeah, she her daughter is now um, like grown up. I think she's like 21 and listened to it multiple times over her, her entire young life and how much it's influenced her to really do cool things and to try out for things. So it makes an impact. I, I truly think so. And, and I think that's great to listen and have your kids listen to this because I'm, again, you know, I, I, I think the philosophies in this book are so important to, to learn and to understand uh, that we can do so much more than what we think we can do. And until we understand that, you know, again, it's okay to fail. It's okay. It's it, not, not only is it not okay, it's needed. We have to fail in order to get to success. So what is what are maybe one or two of the biggest obstacles you see in people when you first introduce this philosophy to them? What are the biggest you know pain points that people have? Yeah. So when we when we speak or when I when we talk to a group, 
there's usually kind of a 20-60-20 rule that happens. It's kind of like a bell curve. 20% of the people hear it. Like you, I think you're in the top 20% in regards to this. And they go like, oh, that's interesting. I get it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to try that. And then you have 20% who say, oh, wow, that's, I'm never, I don't want to do that. That seems really scary. And then you have 60% who are kind of somewhere in the middle who are like, okay, I'll, I'll try. They, they take some pushing. And when we talk to managers and leaders, oftentimes we share this bell curve because it's that 60% that managers kind of have to drag and they kind of have to pull them and say like, hey, you really need to do this. This is the way that you can get more yeses is by hearing no. So with that in mind, I think the biggest obstacle is sometimes in that 20%, there's 2% where there's really a lot of trauma and anxiety around rejection and people just cannot, no matter what I say or do, no matter how much I beg and say, give yourself permission to fail, they just can't do it. And so sometimes I think it's helpful to really talk to someone, a professional about like if you have anxiety and so it's a fair point that sometimes people just need deeper, a deeper level of maybe it's cognitive behavioral therapy or something like that to kind of move them out. The other obstacle too is um, that I hear a lot and someone, I, I did a webinar with a gentleman a few weeks ago and he said this and it was so, I thought it was so profound. He said that his mentor told him, and I hear this all the time, his mentor told him the three most, the worst words, the most devastating words, the words that will, you know, completely hinder your progress are, I know that. And oftentimes we hear people, they'll read the book or they'll hear us speak and they'll say, oh, go for no, I know that. But you may know it, but are you doing it? Are you really practicing it? Do you believe it? Or do you do you think, oh, I know that, but then when it comes down to a go, having a go-for-no moment where you have to ask somebody or you have to try something and potentially fail at it, you have to have that courageous moment, are you right. doing it? Yeah. Yeah. And now in the book, you talk about the no quotient. Uh, you, everyone's heard of IQ and EQ, but what, what can you explain that to to the listeners? Yeah, yeah. So, and this is, so we have a um, a fun quiz called the No Quotient Quiz. And it's kind of, we, we call it two two things. There's, it's like the failure quotient. Um, I, you know, everybody knows their IQ, as you said, uh, they know what that means, how intelligent you are. And then EQ is also a big one, your emotional quotient, like how um, in tune you are, empathetic and, and all of that. Can you read people? But your NQ is how many times you're willing to hear no and keep going. And really, so we came up with this fun quiz for people to take and kind of test themselves to see where their mindset is. Like, it really tests where your mindset is today on how you've been taught and trained and your beliefs around rejection and failure and success. And typically people score pretty badly because not be, it's not their fault, but they read a statement that's like, I should, I should be successful and avoid failure. And they say, oh, true. But they're, that's because they're kind of looking at it in that old model. So it's, kind, it's a fun way to show like, hey, this is this is your old mindset. And then we always tell people, read the book, you know, 
watch a video and your mindset will shift, try go for no out and then retake the quiz in 60 days and you'll have different answers. Yeah. And that's the thing. Anytime we take tests that, uh, you know, we change on a daily basis and, and going back to these things and learning them over, uh, we do, we do change on things. Now I would tell you that my wife would say my no, my NQ is extremely yeah. high. She, she says, I'm like a two-year-old. I never stop. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> Tell her I said that was a good thing. <laughs> she doesn't always think that's a good thing. Uh, but all the listeners, so we're going to put these, uh, we're going to put the links in, in the show notes to go up and take that, uh, take that test, uh, go to go for no. And I, I'm telling so one of the things that I, I absolutely love talking to authors about and why I love having authors on the podcast is because they, they can take decades of work and turn them into a week's worth of work for me and for my mm -hmm. listeners. So you take decades of, of, of all the learning that they've done, all the things that they've gone through, and you've condensed it into a book. So thank you. And thank you so much for, for writing the book. But to me, this book is even more than that because it's not just a how-to type thing. This is really a philosophy mindset uh, type book. So th what I got out of this book is way more than just, you know, a decade of you learning, uh, you know, you learning stuff and putting it down in a book. So thank you so much for, uh, for writing the book and making it available. I'm telling you, it's the, the things that we can learn from other humans is just mind blowing. If we just uh, sit down and take a moment to, to learn these things mm -hmm. and to take the time. So thank you for taking the time to write the book and, and put it out and be persistent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that perspective. And you're right. It's so true that um, I never really look at it like you can learn something that somebody has taken decades to learn and decades of wisdom and that they could distill it down into something that you could then glean from a week. It, it's why when people say, you know, readers are leaders and the impact that books make. And if you read a book a week, you know, uh, like some of the most successful people in the world, Gates and Buffett and those guys, um, they read. There's a reason. There, there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a reason why they do that. So thank you, again, Andrea, for being on the show. I want to. So again, I'm going to put everything in the show notes for people to go up and, and take the test and go to your uh, go to your website and your Facebook. So again, Perfect. thank you so much for for being on. My pleasure. <laughs>